John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 655.LK2040, certificate number 22311, Enterabang. Darling, is this the first time you have loved? Did she get answered? Yes. But it is so wonderful that I hope it will not be the last. We're doing the Victor Borga thing of up. Uh, did you know that type uh, typesetters use the term "bang" uh, to refer to exclamation points? I did not know it until I learned it in a computer context. It's often the way that exclamation points are read when they come up in computer languages. Uh, maybe just to sound programming, just to make programming sound more exciting. I guess. Well, I in doing research for this show, I you don't do research for these shows. In doing the tiny, tiny bit of research that I occasionally do for shows, most of our shows, it's true, I am winging based out of uh, stuff that I've read on the back of cereal boxes. And just a lifetime of experience just in terabanging. Yeah, just in terabanging. Hang, hamburger, hamburger, and terabang, and terabang. But I learned about Unicode. And uh, and all the different ways that punctuation marks are used in computer language and how to use computer language to create punctuation marks. When I say I learned it, I mean that I learned that it exists. Luke, you've just taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs> uh, and and it, it's an astonishing um, uh, universe. Code. It's a code. Literally a code. <laughs> Man has to live by a code, and mine is Unicode. <laughs> Mine is a hexadecimal code for uh, odd Arabic and uh, Cyrillic letters. Yeah, XHTML is my code. That's your code? It's not really. I don't even know what it is. Uh, but I know it's a thing. I know it's something. To live by, I live by logo, which is what you use if you need a turtle to draw a triangle. Huh. So it comes up a lot. Yeah. That's a computer joke that you're making for your computer friends. And uh, and I'm just gonna let it slide. We're all laughing away, and you're like, "Hey, hey anyway, anyway." So, hey, hey, back hey to guys. what I was saying. Hey, hey, uh, wait up, wait up! <laughs> you guys are like, "Lol." We're getting in the nerd mobile without you. But you are a grammarian. 
Sure. Right? Uh, although I think it's a little rude to talk about religion in American mm, life, but true. yes, I'm a devout grammarian. But we've discussed on the show that uh, that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of grammar that now, well, that both is sort of unsupportable in terms of uh, its origins, and also nowadays we see it as it, through a, a class lens, through a, through a lot of different lenses than we might have when we were young. Yes, I uh, I still hear from a lot of older people who have very specific ideas about prescriptive grammar and pronunciation and so forth. And it really is just a way of showing you're on the good side and yeah. went to a good school That's and right. you know what's what. You're on the right team. And uh, yeah, you're right. There's a growing... There's a growing realization that that's kind of a bad look, mm-hmm. especially when it's out of touch with how people actually talk. That there's something arbitrary about all these decisions, and they can't be defended with, uh, you know, Aristotelian logic. Right. That's. A, but you know, it's the argument of just everything is in vernacular. We're all going to be speaking a, a whatever Seattle Cockney in uh, in a in fifty years. Yeah, it'll be the annoying future language of science fiction movies, where it sounds just like the time the movie was made, but then like they just say <laughs> Zorpok or something. I, I, or they I, say, or they say, grab this instead of look at this. Grab this, hey cats, hey lizards. I definitely feel like I am spending a certain amount of time every week on Urban Dictionary, and. Over the over the last decade, writing, I, writing entries, yeah, just writing entries like ye old. John Roderick, <laughs> the coolest guy who lives in the greater Seattle area. No, I, for the last ten years, I've had to stay abreast of new language, as we all have. And Urban Dictionary has helped me figure out like what's happening, what's tea, you know, what what's um, what's fleek, what's on fleek. I was thinking about this the other night with my kids, and I was realizing the words that don't last are the words that already have replacements. Like nobody's going to be saying things are lit in 10 years because we don't need the word lit. They'll just come up with a new word to mean cooler, greater fun. Right. You know, the same way awesome replaced groovy replaced. Uh, rad. The words that rad, the words that'll stick around will be the ones that actually convey some shade of meaning we didn't have before. Right. Like basic is a very good, super good Gen Z word because it's a concept that's always existed, but there was not a generation of young people smart enough to make fun of it yet. So basic. We were all too basic. And that's and the the word tea is a great example of like, nope, that's not going to, tea isn't going to last. Right. Tea is not a coinage. What, what would we have said? Like, uh, instead of, I wouldn't have said that's the tea, sis, in 1985. No, you would have said that you I were. Said, here's the, we would have said, here's the 411. Here's the 411, <laughs> right. You're, 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 uh, you're hanging on the flippity flop or whatever. Um. But now I don't feel like our Urban Dictionary is keeping me up because so much of it is happening. So much of it is derived from uh, what people are saying in threads on gamer sites, right? There's right. there's a lot of, of words that are derived from tech but are being used in a different context, in, in, in a kind of literary context in the sense that they're they're not – they're they're disconnected from their tech origins and become m- metaphorical or become you and know. future dictionaries will have to say you know this used to be a word that meant you know something bad that happened to you in a first person shooter but the first president to use it in a state of the union <laughs> <Exactly>. was <laughs> or even like this was a excellent this was a uh, 
um, this was a combination of letters that was used in coding. Yeah. But then it became synonymous with a certain kind of person that espoused a certain sort of style. And then that became synonymous with a kind of. So you think Leet is going to come back? Maybe not Leet. May- maybe Woot. <laughs> <laughs> Woot will be with us forever. Think about Woot. How, yeah, that's an example. How, uh, how predominant it was six, seven years ago. Woot and, was two zeros sometimes. Well, that's what, what I'm saying. Like Woot with two zeros. And now Woot, who's ever going to say Woot? But LOL is with us forever, I think. Two zeros in this economy? <laughs> How are we going to lose LOL? We're never going to use LOL. But, we're, but Raffle, my I don't ki- think Raffle survives. I heard my kids, one of my kids say Raffle out loud recently. I say Raffle all the time. Raffle, Raffle, Raffle. But doesn't it have a T? Is the T silent? It'd be Raffle, Raffle, Raffle. <laughs> I feel like Raffle, Raffle, Raffle is what the Hamburglar used to say. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. so I very much, I feel like it's just a continuation. He was ahead of his time. The Hamburger was a time traveler. I don't. Were you? He so, comes from a time where meat is extinct, and that's why he needs to steal ruffle, d- delicious ruffle, big, ruffle. delicious Big Macs, mm, delicious hamburgers. Well, he doesn't have a. He he can't gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. He just has Bitcoin. Yeah. Oh, thank God! Thank God! I bought all that Bitcoin when I did. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the luxury of being on this show. No, I didn't buy Bitcoin, and I and I think about it every day. Really? Did you buy Bitcoin? No. Well, the thing is, I was very tech adjacent at that at that point when when Bitcoin was fifty cents a coin. You were, I was you were like in the yeah. I was the reading might have done it all those articles, and I had a thousand dollars that I could have bought a thousand Bitcoin. But you were watching Fox News, and you bought gold instead. No, I didn't even buy gold. I just sat there. I sat there on my hands and watched it all float away. And now look at me. It literally floated away. It floated away. You shouldn't have kept your money in uh, one of those fake skydiving uh, silos they have at the mall. <laughs> but I, I love grammar and punctuation. And I also have never fully, I never made a point of fully learning it as it's in the in its hardest form, uh, and by hard I mean like its most static. The rules is what I'm saying. Do you I feel never like you can't articulate the rules. the rules, but you know them. Like if you're writing, are you like, yeah, yeah, semicolon well, here? It's the same way that I that uh, you know I learned a lot of words by reading and often transposed letters or often added an extra l. Uh, or just generally like my pronunciation is a product. My pronunciation and vocabulary are products of. Yeah. Uh, it's that of a hermit on Mars. Who, yeah. Who never goes outside. Basically learned it good enough to, to, to begin to invent. Right. And that's how a lot of portmanteau I use because I got it. And then I just started riffing on it. And the same I feel is true of both grammar and. You're doing an extended improv about punctuation? I mean, it's the same way I learned music. Like, I learned just enough to begin to try and make it up on my own. And and uh, when, I, when I go into doing any writing now, I still have whole constellations of punctuation rules and grammar rules that I don't 100% know for sure. And so, like, for instance, comma, inside or outside of paren, I do both. Depending on which looks best so in the moment. You do both in the same with the same close parenthesis. Well, yeah. comma close parenthesis comma again. Got all my bases covered. I, I mean, mean, you can't complain about that. Even in a even in a in a single work, I will put a 
comma inside a paren sometimes and outside others. Like the 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 lack of consistency is both that I don't know the rule and also or or that once upon a time I read that two style guides differed and so I felt like eh, whatever I'll do what I like. And I mean it, that's true. Once you see once you have one man with one style guide always knows where to put comma. Man with two style guides never should never does right and and it feels like yeah you put the punctuation inside the paren if you are punctuating the thought inside the paren and if and you put it outside if the, that is actually kind of true in many cases yeah so you're, you're, so. you're probably good but also like we were talking at the end of last our our last recording mr or and for futurelings it because they're listening in a completely ra- random order or alphabetically it might not have been our last show but mr rogers's operas um, when we, when I introduced the show, I said, Mr. Rogers operas. If they're watching internationally, uh, alphabetically, they just heard international cable protection committee and, oh. and interfere on good shows. Good shows. In, inversion goggles coming up next. Uh, but then you said as Ken Jennings, a name that ends with an S you have, you've settled on Ken Jennings apostrophe S Chicago manual of style, baby. But Only then, Jesus gets the S apostrophe, but I, I will do that depending on what. You know, S apostrophe or S apostrophe S, depending. And the last time I think I, back when I was on Twitter, I used S apostrophe S in some tweet, and I got a couple of tweets from people like, who people who haven't read the Chicago Manual of Style. Well, not cover to cover, apparently. But it does feel like those things are meant, grammar and punctuation are meant to be, I mean, they're tools in a kit, Mm -hmm. and- you just limit yourself so much by feeling like the rules of those tools are limited or, or are, are restricted. They shouldn't keep you down. Right. You should say the thing that sounds right in your head and then figure out what needs to go there to make pe- other people read it the way it sounded in your head. Is that an M dash? What is that? And I'm not, and I overuse M dash. Oh, me too. <laughs> because I love them. M dash, that's so fun. I love M dash and colons so much that I actually have to go through and Break up sentences because yeah. I realize I can't have two of these in a row. I do it all the time where, where I read back and I'm like, you know what? This is this is actually a, several different thoughts. And the M dash, you can it announces itself on the page so much. It actually has a real visual appeal, like make way for me. Yes. Step aside words. It's, I'm the width of a big fat thing. <laughs> it's so wonderful. M dash. And also there's no space on either side. So it's just like bang. Punch in the gut. And uh, and you can really see on the page when somebody's yeah. overusing M dashes. Yeah, but I see a little parade coming through. And I do feel in any text that I'm writing that I have to use M dash sparingly. And I'm excited when I when I find the one where it's like this is the one. This warrants an M dash. Gonna build everything around this. But like semicolons, I will forget semicolons exist, and will use you know, and we'll just use periods to. End sentences. But That's then, okay. That's more Hemingway-like. But then sometimes I'll, rem- I'll, I'll, be, I'll be writing and I'll say like, oh, right, and then semicolon because I've got some stuff coming. And then I, am, I, I become newly aware of the power of semicolon. And so then I'm always trying to find reasons to semicolon things and make lists of, of sentences and, you know, semicolon thoughts. It looks more erudite. The semicolon really, like yeah. another punctuation mark, it does say... I went to college. Mm-hmm. 
And it and because it's always optional. That could always be a period and a it, new sentence. It could always be a period, but there are some times when you've got connected thoughts, yes. and it just feels like oh, you it's know, like what a this, musician, man, it's beautiful. You, sometimes the phrases should have a little slur or tie between them, and sometimes they shouldn't. Do you want it staccato or uh, the opposite of uh, staccato? What's the opposite of staccato again? Uh, staccato Ooh. is uh, uh, the opposite is legato. No, uh, the opposite is. I was going to say legato, but is that right? It's. Um, it is legato. Very good. Nice job. But punctuation, there are still all kinds of punctuation marks on a typewriter that I'm not sure when to use the square brackets or the florid brackets. Yeah. The, the, the curly ones, the curly ones. Do you know? I like how you think they're florid. You've, you've really uh, figured out their personality. Yeah. It's such a Pisces. You know what? Bracket settle down. Do you know when to use square brackets versus uh, fancy brackets? Uh, it depends on, I mean, square brackets, the most common use would be for parentheses within parentheses. Right. You use square brackets for that. Uh, curly brackets. What's a good use of those? Or it's in math. Mathematical series. Right. It's the only time I, and I don't use it that for that much for that. I'm trying to think what else you would use them for. I mean, I guess if you were in a par- parenthetical and then you were inside of a parenthetical with a parenthetical and then inside that... <laughs> I really think you need to, if you ever, like if you nesting. ever need square brackets, even to nest once, I think you kind of need to re-examine your, your sentence and your choices. No, nest it, baby. Uh, what do you use a backward slash for? There's a forward slash. Sure. But what's a backward slash? It's a key on my keyboard right here. What I mean, do you use I, it Again, for? I've, I've never used that in a word processor. To me, that is only for what it does in, uh, you know, a Unix command line environment or a programming language. I mean, is it on is it on our typewriter here exclusively to be used in programming? Yeah. I mean, there's a key here. Um, there's a key here. There's on a pipe, the, the horizontal line. You've got one of those. Well, it's, it's probably next to the backslash or maybe the tilde. Well, there's the vertical line too that looks... Yeah, that's, that's what indis- I... Sorry, that's what I mean. Indistinguishable from a... We call that fella the pipe. And what does it do? Uh, different things in different programming environments. It, 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 generally, it works as a pipe to send the output of one uh, operation or expression to the next. I guess these are the things that um, that you use to make those drawings of somebody <laughs> That's right. who's like dancing. They're, or per- a- they're pretending it's for that, but they were really for ASCII art. <laughs> People on Usenet were like, I need a horizontal line. This border sucks. I keep using parentheses. But here I am, uh, a non-computer programmer, and there's an entire key on my on my laptop here, which is a which is a an environment that I need ever I need all the keys I can get. You know, this is just as you were saying that your electric car doesn't have electric seat adjusting buttons because it's saving weight to increase its efficiency. Battery life, yeah. Why the heck is my computer all fattened up with these dumb symbols that well, I'm look, never going to use? What were you going to put there instead? Like, I've, Look, I've got an asterisk up here. I don't write about MASH every day. Yeah. I mean, most days I do, but some days I don't, and the asterisk is still there. What am I going to do with it if I'm not writing about MASH? Well, I use asterisks all the time because I don't... For footnotes? Uh, no, because I don't... Often you don't you don't use uh, racial slurs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I use it uh, to to delineate italics. Oh right, yes, exactly. Yeah, in all text environment, how are you going to bold? Yeah, how are how you going to italicize? And so I use it. I use asterisks quite a bit it to look, do it that. It looks better than all caps. You're right. 
Well, and I use all caps is and and I I've realized recently, and I don't know how where you stand on this, but I've had some conversations with people who are offended by all caps. Like they don't they never want to see even for an a single word of emphasis. And 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 that's the that was my point. I would never write a whole well, sometimes I'll write a uh, a phrase within a sentence in all caps to express like comedic outrage. I would never do it to express actual anger, but comedic outrage like can you believe this guy type of, you know, um all all caps. Yeah. Um you know the the poster child for that actually being funny and good I think is Lindy West. Cuz she did it and still does it with abandon and I think it's a very funny effect honestly just to suddenly have some sentence be like we had hot lead and cold feet on Disney VHS you know for no all reason bold, or yeah, all, 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 caps. all caps yeah love it uh, love it Lindy and I may have I may have gotten it from the stranger style guide of 1998 <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um what do um like what does it what do you use a tilde to do uh it's uh take you you pull the tilde from your varsity sweater <laughs> and it turns the pinata into a pinata duh, duh, duh. um yeah i mean it's the thing over the it's a thing over the end but you can use it by itself to mean approximately approximately right uh i'm trying to think if i would use it for anything else i mean you can put a tilde over a letter but on your keyboard it's, it's if you if a, you're writing about the form of a dash if you're writing about the movie matilda with danny devito and you're a little tired you could just write m a and then put a tilde i do that with the ampersand too if i'm writing about like uh campers and rvs i'll just say c ampersand RVs. I just saved so much time. Well done. I don't actually do any of that. Well, one of the keys that I uh, that could be here on your on your typewriter that isn't this one with the backslash and the the uh, you know the ASCII art key. Uh, one of the keys that could be there and actually for a while did appear on typewriters uh, was a was a key with the interrobang. Interrobang. The interrobang. The interrobang was a uh, a piece of punctuation that in the in the early 60s uh, a, an advertising agency executive by the name of Martin Specter and it's Specter with a K. Whoa. So not Phil Specter, Specter S P E C T E R Regina Specter. It's Specter with a S P E C T. I'm sorry, S P E C K T E R. So it's not Regina Specter either. Oh, it's got a C and a, a C and a K. Oh, that's Spe- just crazy. Martin K Specter. That looks so like that's, a, that's the German version, by the way. Regina Specter, I think, comes by it more Slavically. I think it's a Russian name. So you would probably pronounce it Specter. Yeah. Uh, Martin K. Specter. So he's got two K's in his in his name. Let's just hope that uh, there's no third K Hayden. Let's just hope that his middle name isn't Kaka. In which case, yeah, he'd have he'd, he'd have that all was, three K's. That was the name with two K's you could think of. <laughs> Kaka. What if his middle name is Knickerbocker and then he's got yeah. four K's total and he's Knockler. safe? <laughs> yeah, Knockler. Knockwurst. Like many Germans, his middle name is Knockwurst. Uh Martin Martin K. Specter was an ad agent or uh, the president of an ad agency. And in the early 60s, he wrote an article um, 
in a typographical magazine, which <laughs> wait, wait, wait. was very exciting, very, very popular at the time. There are still these. There uh, are still typographical magazines? Yeah, this magazine was called Type Talk. And in Type Talk, he suggested that there needed to be a new punctuation mark that communicated what we conventionally communicate by writing an exclamation point followed by a question mark to mean what disbelief disbelief uh excitement or in some ways you know a kind of uh like a a rhetorical question like like can you believe this guy did this right you need a question that needs to be punched up by any strong emotion right right like it could right. be could it be fear could it could be, be like, fear, like could it be like is that a dracula over behind the bushes who is it behind the bushes it's a dracula uh but that uh, that already existed right at this at this time in the 60s were people doing what we what i do in pretty much every email and do question mark exclamation yeah. point or maybe the other order or sometimes i do exclamation point exclamation point question mark exclamation point it's like Mostly an exclamation point, but also there's a little bit of incredulity in there. I do exactly what you do, which is every single time I invent a new combination fi- of exclamation points. You figure points. out the right ratio for yeah. the for the mood. So right? if it's three question marks, an exclamation point, I'll always put a fourth question mark after the exclamation point. Because you don't want to end, you want it to be kind of mixed, right? You want it to, yeah, I mean, there's things to consider. You want the overall ratio of yeah. intero to bang, but right. you, then you've also got the, what does it start with? Like, what what hits first? It's like it's like drink, uh, drinking a, a glass of wine. Yeah. But then also, what's the aftertaste? Are what you, you more wanna, excited than you are inquisitive? What do you want to leave the listener with? According to the, you know, the style guides, the more formal language, um, that's considered very, um, very casual writing. To put exclamation point question mark yes. is considered vernacular, right? It's not that you wouldn't see that really in the New York Times. Um, not even in fiction writing, really. It's it seems very. It's too. You'd see it on a garbage pail kid card, <laughs> exactly. not not in uh, even not even in like a Tom Clancy novel. And and Spectre was saying, uh, w- w- was trying to solve this problem because. Clearly, we use the, this problem. <laughs> this problem that no one had ever noticed or cared about. Well, but we do we do use this combination of question marks and exclamation points, and and presumably as an advertiser, he wanted a way to say, "Are you satisfied with your muffler?" Oh, right. He works in ads. Right. Without being too casual, it's got to look classy, but right. still convey. Buy this dessert topping. Yeah, he's not actually asking you if you're satisfied with your muffler. He wants he 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 is presuming you're not. Ads are always emphatic. That's why they're louder than the programming around them. And so and and this is was precisely a desire to ask an emphatic question um, or to phrase it as a question as a as a path to getting uh, to bringing you the answer, so forcing an answer. And because uh, the ad doesn't care what you actually think. No, the ad f- certainly does not care what you actually It doesn't think. know what your current fabric softener is. It just has an idea of what it should be. So he writes this uh he writes this article in Type Talks, but he doesn't he didn't he didn't come up with Interabag right out Interabang right out of the gate. And what's interesting, and this is cr- He's an ad man, he doesn't have the name first. Well that's the that's what's hilarious. He's he's crowdsourcing it. Um 
What's interesting is that typewriters at the time, and this will seem crazy to us now, uh, they didn't actually have exclamation points on the typewriter. If you look at your typewriter right now, the exclamation point is up. It's above the one, like God intended. But at the time, uh, in order to make an exclamation point, you had to create it. You had to put uh, an apostrophe over a period. So you typed the period and then you backspaced and put an apostrophe over it. And is this why they didn't have the the exclamation point? Because they knew that you could make it another way. So why over overcomplicate the number of what do you call the things that hit the paper? Hammers? A uh, little. I don't know what keys? are they called? No, they're, they're, they're the keys of the they're, keys. Uh, um, oof. They're called. Let's crowdsource this. Yeah. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. The things that fingers. They're called the paddles. The paddles. Oh, is that right? I don't know. I think so. Are I they? I think they're called the paddles. What if they are now? If only Tom Hanks were here. Oh, Tom Hanks. He'd know. Um, I mean, it's a key. Oh, keycap. Oh, that's just the that's just the look. This of thing the key. says they're called type bars or strikers. Strikers. Striker is exciting. I like striker. Makes it sound like a sports hero or a Navy SEAL. So you were already creating. Um, Exclamation points, and you can imagine in the in a in the writers of the forties and fifties, even using an exclamation point seemed pretty casual. Um, it's a it's a little bit, and the reason I say that it's inconceivable to us now is that exclamation points, at least within text messaging, have become de rigueur. Sure. Um, if you don't put an exclamation point at the end of a text, and this has been commented upon widely. Uh, you seem like you're mad or like the exclamation point is the, is the basic way to communicate that you, that your text I, is I'm engaged, happy and that you are. Yeah, that's right. You're here. And what you're saying, matters. the lack of exclamation points is, is now sullenness. It is. And I, I think we all came to it independently, right? Nobody had to tell me that. I remember the first time I got a text with a period and feeling like, well, what's wrong? And the person was like, nothing's wrong. And I was like, well, I said, are you coming? And you said, yes, period. <laughs> and they were like, well, what did you want? And I was like, well, an exclamation point. Like, I think we all r- realize that text messaging, and th- that's one of the things behind this episode, text messaging now requires a new lexicon. Um, uh, in a way, it requires like much more sophisticated use of punctuation because – it's an unprecedentedly. It's you're trying to convey, yeah, like an inner, your inner state, and and texts are so short, yeah, that you you don't have explicative, you know, language. You can't say like he said morosely. You know, it's it's sometimes five words, and yet it needs to communicate all these things. I love you. It, I, you wanted to convey anything you could with like face or voice in how you would previously have had that conversation. Right. In the, in what would be a conversation. I mean, you and I text quite a bit and we both are guilty of the thing where we're going back and forth. We're making some jokes and then one of us doesn't reply. You do this all the time where it's like, ha ha. Yeah. And then the guy said, yeah. And then it turns out he was a monkey. Oh yeah. And then he was carrying an apple and then. And you should send the laughing face. Something. The laughing face means. What? I received your I, last K, joke, K. But, but I'm out, right? And and the uh 
and this is true of like group texts. If you have like five people on a right. text and you're and everybody's saying jokes, and then someone has to say the last joke. Someone is the one that that says, "Yeah, fart noise," and then nobody replies, and that person is just hanging in the wind. Unfortunately, the thing now is to heart or you know to to actually send some kind of like of a text. Oh yeah. Which is being completely I never misused. Do, I, I never do those. No, I, I you can tell you're dealing with a millennial because they'll like your text. Like Just send me a ha bubble. And and it's better than nothing, but at the same time it feels so dismissive. Like Well the thing is in re- I mean it's a purely an etiquette question. In reality, it's not that I um I had no reaction, so I have nothing to text back to that joke. It's really just right. that something happened in real life. And yeah, texting went away. And it's the same with me. Like right. w- at the end of a series of thoughts with somebody, I'm like, okay, great. Well, good good chat. There there it was. But the other person often is like standing there waiting for something, right? An emoji of some kind. That's I think that's actually a problem because it kind of implies that the text conversation has primacy over real life. You know, and that's, I think you should assume, oh, no reply. That means somebody that had means it, literally anything else happened to that person right. and they stopped looking at their phone. Their pot was boiling over. But it's hard to imagine someone who, who prioritizes real life over looking at a phone. So, well, and this is the, this is the customer service issue when, when stores started to have phones right at the cash register. And for years, it was, I think, very commonly understood that the customer that's standing at the register takes precedence over the customer on the phone. Yeah. And when the phone rings, you say, can you hold please? And then you deal with the person in front of you. But at a certain point along the way, uh, people at cash registers started to answer the phone in the middle of a transaction and carry on a separate transaction. The person on the phone, yeah, phone wins. seemed the, like the one that was in a bigger I'm, hurry. I'm sorry, you were just here being a face, but this person went beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yeah, right. So I had to switch from the face to the beep, 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 beep. And I'm sure you felt the, the frustration of standing at a register kind of staring at the clerk while they're talking to some rando, like, oh, well, you know, I'll have to go check the price on that. And it's like, I'm here to buy a thing. Uh, but it's an, another example of like kind of, what, I don't know, it, it falls into the category of declining standards where it's like- were you, Or shifting standards. Were you not trained? Um, shifting standards, but it does feel like a decline, right? As the person who has made the trip, gotten pref- in your car. I prefer it because the person who calls and says, will you please hold, does not feel slighted in any way. Yeah. You know? It's like, just hold. Whereas the person who is already there in your face and then has to be- you know, kind of awkwardly ignored while they're physically there. You're talking from the perspective of the person behind the counter. When was the last time you worked a cash register, Ken? Oh no, I'm I'm thinking of myself as the as the as the customer. Customer. I, it happened to me today at a doctor's office as the patient. Really? I walked in and the receptionist was on the phone, so I was just like, "I'm here," and I sat down in the seat. And then she made another call. <laughs> and finally, some other receptionist comes over and says, "Have you been checked in?" I was like, "No." But, you know, right. I was fine. I had a magazine. Yeah. Well, she was on the phone. John, how serious are you about cooking? I get more serious all the time. You know, I uh, during the quarantine, it seemed like cooking was a way to stay out of jail. And uh, so, and, you know, I just I just got my stove and oven working at oh, my you, new house. Oh, because you've got a new house. Yeah, but an old stove and oven, and, the, and they weren't working, and that really inhibited me in my ability to cook things. Uh, but I got them working. I hired a, a a little old guy, like an old-fashioned appliance repair guy, 
who came out because they're old fashioned appliances. They don't have, you can't just replace the motherboard or whatever. And he came out with his little tool belt and sat in the kitchen and talked to me like an old prospector and uh, fixed them, got them running. I remember when my wife and I got married, I had all the cheapest crap because I would just buy the cheapest pan or the cheapest knives or whatever. Right. Just come banging around. And she took food more seriously and was like, you're going to get cancer from whatever is on that pan and none of this can go in the... So she had nicer stuff. Yeah. And... You had a bunch of flaky old nonstick pans that you got at Sears. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if you care about cooking, if you care about the quality and the craftsmanship of what you are going to be cooking on I in do. your new kitchen. I do. You should check out Made In, who just sent me this, wow, professional quality carbon steel pan. And you and I were weighing this thing. It is a substantial piece of work. That is a killer looking pan and a killer feeling pan. I mean, I'm always wondering, how do professional kitchens get that perfect sear? How do they cook? Why can't I do it at home? Yeah, I sit and try and do it at home, and all I do is burn it to the bottom of the pan, and it sticks, and then it's on fire, and then you know I have to move to a new house. You're using crappy grocery store pans right. instead of made-in cookware. Like, this stuff will, you know, this a well-made pan, it'll distribute the heat more evenly. Um, you can go from the stovetop to the oven and vice versa. Their knives are really well-balanced and keep an edge better. It's premium stuff without... The premium markup. Oh, because it's not doing. It's not going through the thing where it's it. Uh, it gets marked up by a hundred different sort of uh, distributors and brands and what else. It comes directly to you. That's right, and it's uh, it's legit. Like some of the world's best chefs at Michelin starred restaurants are using this stuff right now. I see why. I mean, it's so simple. Well, they, they're not cooking it. They're just chasing their spouses around the kitchen with Clang. a with, with a fire, frying pan. <laughs> but also, you could really cook good food in it. I think. Well, I am excited to get my own made-in pan. What, what did you order? You ordered a pan as well? I ordered the same pan that you ordered. I thought about getting the knives. I might get the knives too. Well, I need knives. Um, and so now now that I see this made-in stuff in person, I'm, I'm inclined to feel like this may be how I do my new kitchen. Made-in. Better cookware for better meals. That's made-in cookware. And it's not made-in like a, like a young bride. It's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com slash omnibus. So use promo code omnibus and uh, that will connect your account to us. Omnibus to Omnibus. That's made in cookware.com slash omnibus. Use promo code omnibus. It's interesting that punctuation, uh, kind of like we, we talked about on the, on the grammar episode, punctuation obviously got its beginnings in ye old ancient times because there was, you know, a necessity for punctuation, but it wasn't clear in ancient writing, uh, in Greek and Roman times, it wasn't clear how much punctuation was needed and there were no clear style guides. And you want to think that punctuation was fairly, uh, was fairly well codified by some point, uh, you know. They're writing, you know, poems and plays that look a lot like ours. Right, and so. How weird that they wouldn't have question marks or whatever. Yeah, and and in fact, punctuation was really ad hoc uh, 
until fairly recently. In in fact, long after the printing press, I mean, the first editions of Shakespeare had no quotation marks. Well, um, that's because the whole thing's in quotation marks. It's a play. <laughs> but to... You mean when they say slang? Well, no, to, <laughs> to differentiate between when they were quoting someone, right. when someone in the play was quoting someone. Right. Um, but the, so the first punctuation marks so were... it's like a Cormac McCarthy novel. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. Why would you, why would you need it? All you, all you have to say is, he said, she said. Comma, he said. Uh, the first punctuation marks were... Uh, were in the margins, and for many centuries, punctuation marks only appeared in the margins, and they were used to um, used as commentary on text. So the the kind of the oldest punctuation mark in the in the Western tradition was just a a, a line, like a, a horizontal line in the margin, and it was. Invented by a Greek uh, Greek critic. The father of punctuation. Uh, by the name of Xenodotus. And it was called Obelos, the little line. Oh, yeah. We still use that for the uh, the line in a division sign. Yeah, right. That's right. That's what we call it. Obelos, and what it, well, it's derived from the Greek, and it means roasting spit. Because when, uh, when Xenodotus used it in going through a text... He put it in the margin uh, when he was making a critical comment about about the text. When he was writing something that he felt like he wanted to roast them over, he a wanted spit. to roast them. And if you it's literally roasting the yeah, if you if you saw an obelos in a text, um, it was you know it was it was calling the uh, the quote or the writing into con- into into question, and then. Uh, Aristarchus, one of his sort of uh, one, a subsequent Greek writer, yeah. started to use the what you would call the greater than symbol, the little sideways triangle that opens to the left, right. uh, and that was called a dipple. <laughs> Wait, a dipple? A dipple? How can that be a Greek word? Dipple. Dipple. Uh, and the dipple was similarly like used in the margin as like an as an arrow, basically pointing at places in the text that it was like highlighting, basically like in order to highlight the text uh, to to differentiate it. And that there were a lot of ways. I mean, in a lot of ways, punctuation is just differentiating some words. From others. Yeah, I mean, the reason why punctuation exists is to remove ambiguity, right? generally. Like, uh, the, the argument for the Oxford comma is, like, you don't want to say, I would like to dedicate this book to my parents, comma, uh, Thomas Jefferson and Diana Ross. You know, you want it to be clear whether you mean my parents, Thomas Jefferson, and Diana Ross, or my, my parents, parents, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson, and Diana Ross. Diana Ross. Yeah. The dipple was so the dipple Stop was saying dipple. <laughs> dipple. That's was, what I call an inverted nipple. Is a dipple. It was. You can you can picture them kind of needing some way to to make differentiations and not yet having evolved multiple different agreed upon symbols to specify the differentiation. So the dipple was a like a multipurpose little thing and you were and it it was left to the reader to contextualize exactly how the dipple was being 
And we've all done that. Employed. You know, if you're writing notes to yourself, you can create your own little language of, you know, circles and other kinds of, you know, arrows and hashtags just to create an organizational system that makes it come together for you. I guess Aristarchus thinks the reader is going to have to figure it out too. Well, yeah. And, and, um, and a lot of this was happening in the context of people editing. So a lot, a lot of these marks were not in the original writing, but were added by editors uh, as a part of either actually editing the, the, the work or commenting on it. It was part of a commentariat. Um, and is this in the era of typesetting or is this all still ancient? Oh, this is ancient. This okay. is, this is, um, you know, this is when the language of the, the educated language was primarily Greek. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the asterisk, um, was developed at this time. It was, it's derived from, uh, asteriskos, the Greek word for little star. Ah. And it was used to, uh, to delineate like when text was a duplication of an earlier thought, like in the margin, you would put a little asterisk to say like, you're repeating yourself. Oh, that's funny. These all started out as, as like teacher's notes, little teacher's notes. And then if you put, uh, needs it, more supporting arguments. Is there a symbol that means like topic paragraph needs to be longer? <laughs> well, and paragraphs actually, um, paragraphos was, uh, that, uh, that was indicated by a line in the margin. Like this is the beginning of a new paragraph, paragraphos. If you used an asteriskos with an obelos, it meant that the text that you were highlighting needed to be somewhere else in the, in the article or, you know, in the piece. Like this is out of context and it needs to be, it needs to go somewhere else. Um, so all of this stuff was, was evolving and it was kind of evolving within a small cadre of, of people writing. Eventually it was, uh, the, uh, the dotted dipple, which was dipple with two dots. Uh, they needed, they realized they needed a way to indicate that they disagreed with the author, that they disagreed with the, with this, either, the statement or the author's intent or, right. you know, every aspect of disagreement. So they added a dotted dipple into the, that's what I always get at Farrell's. I get the dotted, the dipple. dotted dipple. But what really, uh, what really changed it around was, I mean, this was all sort of, you know, editorial within the sort of narrow into Greek intellectual world. It's a society of thinkers with a, their little club, right? The but, punctuation club. It was the arrival of Christianity and the and the the expanding the greatly expanding world Christian world in the you know f the fifth century that really changed punctuation because there were so many Christians writing criticism of other Christians. So much classic Christian. So much Christian writing was either quoting other writers. Or, you know, it was all about text and explicating text and the, all the, the like text about text sure. that the, characterizes the Christian world. Well, a lot of these were, uh, would have been, uh, you know, converted Jews and they've got the Talmudic traditions of their people, but now they're using the Greek alphabet to do it. Right. So punctuation has got to keep up. 
super interesting statistic. In the second century, one in 50 of the surviving works that kind of characterize the writing of the time, one in 50 was written uh, about Christianity or it was a Christian text. By the eighth century, four out of five surviving texts was Christian, was a, were, were Christian writings. Four out of five dentists. Four out of five dentists surveyed recommend Christian writing for their patients who, who write Christian. Is that um, Christian writing taking off, uh, other kinds of writing uh, falling off, or uh, Christians making sure the other kinds of writing didn't survive to our day? I think it became just where you, I mean, every intellectual was a church person. I mean, it's... I mean, I've been in a Christian bookstore, and it's mostly like wall hangings and tea cozies. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they just didn't have that much to write about. I mean, plays would have been all about, would have been passion plays, right? It was part of the Christian design. All content is now God content. Right. And all commentary is about other interpretations. So it's all tumultic, right? In its in its heart and soul. But a lot of quoting because you're building a corpus. Yeah. And so all of the 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 need for punctuation and particularly the need for quotation marks and ways to um ways to put text within other text really became uh uh, it exploded. Um, it's interesting that we think of punctuation as like an important way to convey everything I convey with my voice. You know, pauses, uh, you know, relationship between thoughts. And that doesn't appear to have troubled the Greeks or Romans at all. They, no. they didn't. They thought, the you know, speech has that, but writing doesn't, and that's fine. Well, Hebrew didn't even really, uh, like, specify which vowels right. needed to go in there. I mean, there was a lot of expectation that... As a reader, you you had to do the heavy lifting uh, of. I mean, you can imagine reading reading one of these texts and having to go back three or four times, saying like, "Who is speaking now?" But also, I think it was the style that you didn't you didn't quote in the same way that we do. It wasn't it wasn't until this Christian period that you would take large sections of someone else's text and put it in the middle of yours. It would be funny if the finger quotes were invented first. And then they were like, hey, we need to put something on the paper that looks like when I do this. <laughs> uh, it was true uh, by the by the kind of 8th century um, that the double dipple came into common usage. And we still see that in kind of message board culture now, right? Like if you're having a conversation between two people, you'll give one... The, the first speaker will get a dipple, yeah, and like, the second will get a double dipple, two dipples. Yeah, like it's a, a dash or something. Like a dash. I don't know what right. you would actually use now. My keyboard doesn't have a dipple of any kind. Uh, your keyboard? Yeah, your keyboard has a dipple. It's the... It's oh, you're the, the greater than? You yeah, mean? the greater than symbol. It's true. But it was it was when the type, the movable type came in that some of this stuff needed to be standardized. Because what was happening throughout the Middle Ages was that whatever writer... It was that was that was composing the text used whatever punctuation it was that they had either learned or devised. Again, just as a way, I think if you were if you were reading the text, you would you would devise what the writer intended by his marginal 
marks and kind of go, oh, okay, so he's using this to mean quote, and he's using this to mean, you know, it wasn't it's a system yet. Yeah. Right. It was just a sort of, and you would think that, that the, the movable type would have produced a standardized system, but it didn't. If nothing else, you, you're going to want to make sure you have the available symbols that convey those things, and everyone's going to be, uh, what, uh, you know, minting them from the same machinery or whatever. So, but no. But not at all. Um, there were as many ways to express uh, whether or not you were quoting, what what your... Um, there, there, there were an awful lot of different little shapes that were kind of used differently by different people. Um, there were no quotation marks, uh, even in the 16th century, uh, the first attempt at quotation marks was just two commas. So like at the bottom of the line yeah, down at your, at I feel your, like I still see that in, aren't there languages that still do that? There, so Spanish uses like a dipple for dialogue. Like it, uh, you, they put everything in these angular brackets. As you can imagine, the languages of the world have all adopted punctuation marks in different ways to mean different things. You know, the native American languages of, uh, first nations, you know, they use, uh, they use question marks to indicate a glottal stop. I mean, Asian languages, Chinese and Japanese use question marks in their typefaces. They borrowed them from us though, right? They borrowed them from us. It's funny that as all these have evolved so far, you haven't really mentioned any punctuation mark evolving that conveys tone or mode of the sentence. You know, the question mark and the exclamation point have not appeared yet, right? Right. And, and they started to, um, like, like I say, exclamation point was quite a bit later. Um, the, there was nothing to get excited about for the longest time. Well, yeah, and, and it would it's unseemly to, like, what are you trying... Unless you're quoting someone who's screaming, in which case, you know, you, you could just indicate that by saying he screamed. Well, that's what I think. Like, the, the, the exclamation point, even though fiction writers, you know, even though most essayists wouldn't use it, fiction writers might in dialogue. That's when you need it. I And a lot of the tonal stuff was communicated by different typefaces. Um, mm. Like in the, in the 16th century, John Whitgift, uh, in his writing, he would use Gothic to indicate when he was speaking, he would use lowercase Gothic to indicate the people that he was, uh, uh, to indicate the arguments that he was railing against, he used uh, italic when he was quoting Latin. He would use um, Roman font to indicate scripture. Like in the in the course of a of a piece of writing, you could communicate tone by changing the font. And that kind of makes it's a very chaotic energy, but it's still used in um, word balloons in a lot of like pictographic, like cartoons and comics. You know, often Thor, if Thor is talking to Captain America, Thor will use kind of runic looking lettering or something to convey that same thing. Or, you know, somebody with a big deep voice, it might have big bold letters. Right, right, right. But it's hard on a typesetter. Like 
he has to have a whole new tray of letters for every uh, new kind of guy who talks. Whereas, what if he just had a few symbols that he could sprinkle in everywhere? Although type typesetting was an exciting new thing, and the, you know, like it's how much how much easier right. than illuminating manuscripts? It's like the first person to get a word processor always goes over over the overboard with fonts and stuff, and, and that was like a whole culture that had just gotten its copy of print shop or newsroom on diskette and they're going to go over the top with fonts. Right. The, the question mark, the, the, a mark to mean something interrogative actually does go back a long way. It's uh, the, the first language to use it was a Semitic language, which is uh, the language of, um, of Syria, like Syriac, huh. uh, had a, an interrogative mark. Nice job, Syria. Yeah. Good work. And that's, you know, I mean, that's 13th century uh, that they were using interrogative marks. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it those again were, were um, because, I mean, questions are not that they, they actually do need a. Yeah, sometimes it's not clear from context, especially depending on how your grammar works, whether you're saying um, is the sorghum ready to harvest or the sorghum is ready to harvest. Right. Is the water warm, Lisa? In English, you can usually tell by word order, but not all languages have that. Well, and it's why it's interesting that Spanish, uh, Spanish devised the uh, the upside down backwards question mark. So you know right away. It's like here comes the the part that is a question, uh, and in Spanish, actually, there's a a, a lot of thought about the interrobang because although it's not considered like very good Spanish. You see a lot of people in uh, in vernacular using upside down exclamation point at the beginning of a sentence and then right side up question mark to do a kind of interrobang. I don't know if that was true when you were learning Spanish. Did you ever do that or see anyone do that? I don't think I've seen both. You know, because they do the ex- upside down exclamation point before they say "ole" or "vamos" and, and right. only those two words. <laughs> but I don't know if I've ever seen. Um, you know, it makes me wonder, we put it at the end kind of to mirror the rising intonation that English puts at the end of a question, but is that universal? It's not universal, huh? Most European languages have rising intonation at the end of a question, but I don't think... In Japanese, do yeah, they? Yeah, I don't think, you know, you know, Asian, you know, a tonal language like Chinese won't always have a rising intonation at the end of a question. That just must be some accident of how how our language is developed. That's not, it's not baked into how our brains work. You know, uh, languages that read from right to left that aren't Asian, uh, like in Arabic, they use a backward exclamation or I'm sorry, a backward question mark. And they put it at the end of the sentence. So on the left, starting at the right. So there's at the end too. But in Hebrew, which also you read from, right to left, they use a forward exclamation point, I think, on the right. Oh, where which would be the beginning. Which would be the beginning. It looks to me like there Is are that languages right? that have a falling intonation for questions. Finnish and Hungarian and maybe Hawaiian have a falling intonation for, 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 uh, for questions. But it's still at the end of the sentence. They don't do anything at the beginning to that would mirror the uh, 
the Spanish opening inverted question mark. It's at the end of a sentence. Yes. Yeah, so you'd ask a question like. That's where it belongs. At the end of a sen- sentence. It's very hard for me to do it and have you hear it as a question. What are you doing in my wife's bed? <laughs> it, it, bed. It, it but you like, kind of even gave it a little lilt. It just sounds like you're bored with the question. Right. Wife's bed. What are you doing in my wife's bed? <laughs> it you does should, seem you like you don't you care you that much. You sound resigned to it. Of course she is. But what's curious is that even as uh, early as the 16th century, there was some recognition that there needed to be a mark that communicated that a sentence had a second level of meaning. Um. And so, basically, within within the the writing land, within writing writing land, writing land that's where writers live, the life of the mind. The question mark became fairly established as as the interrogative, but there was felt a need for a punctuation mark that indicated rhetorical questions. Oh yeah, and. I mean, that would be so valuable on Twitter where you do a joke and everybody actually answers the question. And so what what was proposed and proposed multiple times was the backward question mark. I've seen that. As a, as a, a, a mark of, of rhetor, rhetorical question. Um, and then, but it wasn't widely adopted. You know, it was kind of by writer. Some would use it, um, but it, but not it widely accepted. Didn't catch on. Um, Stop and, trying to make rhetorical question mark happen. Yeah. <laughs> Although we're living now in a world where some of these 16th century attempts at interesting punctuation marks have to have, take on a new necessity. I have I have actually recast jokes on social media to not be in the form of a question because I know I'm just going to get 10 people giving me an either, answer. Yeah, answers either silly or serious, but right. you know, the internet has never seen a question mark that I didn't want to talk back to. In 1668, uh, a writer by the name of John Wilkins suggested that the upside-down exclamation point be used to communicate irony. It looks like a lowercase i. That's perfect. A lowercase i. In English, anyway. It's uh, it's ironical. We need an irony mark. I mean, that's the whole thing about... I think on the internet, it's kind of become fake clothed sarcasm tag. Like, a fake markup language has been developed to convey our lack of an irony mark. Right. And and there's sarcasm a... Sarcasm mode off. There's a, there's a ton of that, right? Like, um, and, and that all feels like beyond informal into... Uh, into the urban dictionary level of slang teenage talk right yes sarcasm like, like sadie smith is never going to use the eye roll emoji right for to convey this and emojis really at least for the last 6 to 10 years have really filled the gap in in text language for communicating um and and first you know just sort of like colon uh colon uh Open, open paren, close paren yeah, to oh, mean yeah. like, I'm sad. I used that the other night. Like, I'm sad. I still use it. I don't have lasagna. I'm sad. I feel like that's actually quicker for me to type than to go through my emojis. Yeah, for sure it is. 
And that may pers- that may actually those may those are examples of creating a new punctuation mark by using two punctuation marks, which which has an ancient history. Oh yeah, right. It's it's um, and I think probably like smiley face, sad face, uh, will never be replaced by emoji. I think that they're they've become a new form of punctuation because they're because to see a sad faced emoji. First of all, there are too many options now. Yes. They're well, like what, what degree of sadness? Sad face with, that's really sad with a heart. Are the eyebrows also sad? What you really just want is punctuation. And who knows how long it will be before the first pr- president of the United States uses uh uses a sad face emoji in a proclamation? Yeah. But in the 19th century, a writer by the name of Marcelin Jobard, and you'll see that a lot of this punctuation uh, the excitement, new punctuation excitement comes from the French writers of Ooh. the 19th and early 20th century. I guess those were the experimental guys, right. right? All the Ulipo, you know, all the guys playing around that led to, that led to modernism and postmodernism and post-structuralism. Jobard suggested that, uh, that a punctuation mark, which was the, um, what's the one that looks like a little teepee? It's above the number six. A carrot. Uh, is that what it's called? Yes. And what does a carrot get used Insertion. For? Insertion, right. You put it below I mean, to- it doesn't actually get used for insertion unless you have a real punctuation fetish, but yes. Jobard used a, used a carrot with a, uh, like, basically a comma in the middle of it, so- It's like a little umbrella. Like a little, like a little pine tree. Okay. And that was a punctuation mark to mean irritation- or indignation. He wants a, he wants a full emoji set. Basically, he does. This guy's going to try to draw an eggplant with a with a hyphen and a tilde. Well, we'll see. It's not until the mid twentieth century that this really goes crazy. Right at the turn of the century, eighteen ninety nine, Alcantar del Bram uh, again brings back the backwards question mark. Really trying to get it. Really trying to get it happening to still mean rhetorical to or? mean like a second level of meaning like. Is this ironic? Is this sarcastic? Oh, I see. Is it rhetorical? So some level of distance from the question. Yeah, but it can right. it, but it can be any kind of any kind of meta awareness. And I think it's it's not quite uh, to the degree that we use scare quotes now. Um, finger quotes. Finger quotes. Uh, but it is it's it's a way to say like if you got to the end of this sentence and you are outraged, go back now and think about it. Think about it in a different light, right? Think about it as having a second layer. I would just use that on every sentence, honestly. Before <laughs> just, you email me about this. Just put it just put it at the beginning and at the end. Yes. Like an upside down backwards question mark. I need a font for that. But it was it was after the hero, the uh, the the nominal hero of our story, Martin Spector, suggested the Interabang in the mid sixties, uh, nineteen sixty six, a Frenchman by the name of Hervé Bazan came up with a whole new system of uh, of punctuation. He suggested um, that the that the backwards question mark be um, rather the the Greek letter psi, which is kind of like a little uh, like yeah. Neptune's it's got a, it looks like Charlie Brown's forelock or something. Yeah, but, but but done with a with a there's a dot at the bottom of it. It's kind of like a little it's a little fork? A little fork, a little like a a trident. Okay. Um but like a smiling trident. But Bazan wasn't uh wasn't done. He he came up with the 
what would be an exclamation point except if you were writing a message of love. He called it the love point, which was basically like a heart That's made French. out of two two perens with a dot at the bottom. So like, oh, I see. So, looks so like it looks a, a little bit like a Valentine, like a, like a little heart, except like a Valentine, except it's not the paren. It's like almost, almost like a base clef. Yeah. Right. It would be a, it would be a new punctuation mark, not one that you could create. And then the acclamation point, which he meant to end a sentence where you were giving someone praise. Why, now, why do we need? We don't. And that's why. <laughs> if these you can't tell it's being, if you can't tell it's actual praise in the sentence, give better praise. These weren't, these weren't widely adopted, but he had a certitude point. He had a doubt point. It's the emoji impulse. Like the, the, it's right. more fun if there's a little decoration that tells you how I feel. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't understand, but in the world before texts, how, uh, how y- you couldn't just add another sentence or, or a little bit of, he said, acclamatorily, um, and, and how much, these, mostly for letters. Maybe. Yeah. How much these punctuation marks would confuse the issue rather than, uh, you know, flesh it out. And a lot of this feels like typographical or linguistic gameplay. Yeah. They're also not self-evident the way an emoji is. If, even if I've never seen an emoji before, if somebody sends me the tongue out emoji, I can begin to know what I'm seeing. If somebody sends me two base clefts above a dot, I'm not going to be like, <gasps> she likes me. She went <laughs> right. to Jared. Right. And, uh, and, and, and that well, it takes a lot of the mystery away too. But just recently, there have been a couple of new marks that um, have been discovered. Well, that that, NASA. that it increasingly feels like we may need, and this is partly uh, like as we've explained. Like there is a lot more communication, a lot more confusion now about tone, and I think we. It comes up all the time. We talk about it all the time. I mean, I used to get in trouble on Twitter all the time uh, because my tone was misread. I was being you were you were doing a character, yeah, and that just doesn't always work in isolated one sentence chunks of text. A lot of time, I would take a satirical viewpoint or a, a satirical tone. Uh, I would adopt a character that did not reflect my actual feelings, but was being um, you know, had an exaggerated viewpoint that was meant to be s- satire about people so, that actually thought that. This is not just you. A couple of nights ago, I saw James Holtzauer of Jeopardy fame post some joke about after Gonzaga lost to Baylor. He posted some joke about how these small conference teams, you know, shouldn't be seated against big teams. And it was a joke because yeah, Gonzaga had, a, you know, the best NCAA season in, in 40 years. And he immediately just got jumped on by people like telling telling him off because Actually, Gonzaga is very good. Yeah, you know, a, a point which would not be lost on a professional sports better, but uh, right. But not everyone has a lot of self awareness, and that isn't going to be helped by new punctuation marks because it's a it's a problem. It's a it's a toxicity problem that's probably more rooted in um, just a, people having different levels of comprehension of. And also humor and also, yeah. And also humor being increasingly complicated and liking to walk a, am I joking line or not? 
whether for reasons of subtlety or plausible deniability. There's a lot going on there. Uh, the writer Douglas Sack came up with the Sark Mark, which is kind of an, it looks almost like a backwards at symbol. It's like a little curly Q, like a, like a, like a symbol that you might make for, it's not quite an Ouroboros. It's like a, it's like a dog's butthole. It's, um, it's like a little, Hold on, uh, let me just Google dog's butthole. So I can... <laughs> it's like a little spiral with a period in the middle. Okay. So it, it's, it's, if you took a long exclamation point and twisted it around. Got it. And that's the Sark mark, meaning that, that what you just said is sarcastic. Um, but then a, uh, like a further iteration of this, and this is now just just in very recent days, um, Charles Cunningham suggested the snark mark, and the snark mark is a is back to a punctuation mark that you can actually make yourself out of existing punctuation. It's just a period followed by a tilde, and that is how you communicate that you're being snarky. Do you think the snark mark and the sark mark are interchangeable or is snark different than sark? I feel like snark is very different than sark. Don't you? Let me see what Yeah, I, I mean a, I guess a snarky comment could still be sincere. It could yeah. it could have its face meaning. Yeah. But you're just you have some kind of uh scorn behind it that might not be might not be clear from the text. Yeah, you're being uh you I mean you can be playfully snarky. Oh, do you think do you think the difference between snark and sark is uh No, because benevol- you can be you can be bitterly benignous? snarky too. I oh, mean, okay. uh and in a way snark is feels like a modern invention and snark feels like it's derived from the modern culture of reference. Right? If you're being snarky, it almost feels like you're always kind of making reference to some other text as a way of shooting down or right. contextualizing, like m- making fun, making light by... I, I don't think I need a snark and a sark mark. I would not know when to use them. No, my God. Thank God we don't have these things. Um, so the Interabang went through a period in the 60s and 70s where it had a lot of support. And just to be clear, this is this is not just a question mark and exclamation point. It's it's a single symbol made by overlapping them in some way. You you type a question mark and then you go back and type an exclamation mark over it. Okay. So unless your unless your font is really good, it just looks like a muddy question mark. Yeah, a smeared question mark. Yeah, the question mark seems too dominant in it. But and it is Although there were typewriters made, and there is Unicode for it, huh. uh, but there were typewriters made with Interabang, uh, an Interabang key. And in fact, like a federal judge at one point actually used an Interabang in his, uh, in, in one of his decisions, his written decisions. Yeah. It feels kind of like Esperanto, but condensed down to a single, um, a single punctuation mark where it's solving a problem that maybe didn't exist. I'm, I've started to say emojis out loud. I'll be like, I roll emoji. 
out loud. Or, or Do you some, always say emoji at the end? Yeah. Or you some, don't say like smiley or face. Or sometimes I type eye roll emoji instead of typing the emoji. And but I guess that's you, so ironic. It is. It's so Gen X. I need a snark mark. Yeah. But you, you could do it with the Unicode, too, with the Interabang. You could just say U plus 203D to convey the Unicode symbol for Interabang. Because otherwise, you know, I don't know if you could do it with your voice. Interabang. How would you do it with your voice? Well, it's really easy. Uh, Are you really going to wear that? Yeah, I guess you do rising intonation plus volume. Yeah. The volume gives you the exclamation mark, and the rising intonation gives you the question mark, unless you're in Hawaii, and then you got to go down. And snark mark, I feel like snark mark is the, is the one that I'm going to... What, what, would, what would you do if I sent you a text that had a period followed by a tilde? I don't think I would naturally know to read it that it way. It would just seem like a... Is there an emoji that conveys snark? Is it, the, is it the smiley face with the sunglasses on? Yeah, maybe. That's the snark mark, isn't it? Yeah. Snark, it also sounds too corporate, snark mark. It sounds like someone owns it. Right. Snark mark TM. Who, who do I have to pay if I want to use <laughs> snark mark? Well, uh, we're going to say that, um, that Chaz Cunningham invented it, but... It belongs to the world now? Yeah, or maybe maybe I own it. You, you're you going to take over Snark Mark? All right. If you use a Snark Mark, you need to ask John first. And that concludes Interabang, entry 655.LK2040, certificate number 22311 in the omnibus. Futurelings, comma, we were products of our time. Futurelings. Hear it. The omnibus plus or period. Uh, as a result, comma, we were on social media exclamation point. I was at sign Ken Jennings. I was open quote at sign Ken Jennings close quote uh, on Twitter, comma. I guess I'm only on one on Twitter and various other social media platforms, period. Jointly, comma, we were at omnibus project on all these platforms, period. Are you not on any social media other than Twitter? Uh, Are you, do you have a Facebook account? No. I mean, I have a, I do, but I have a fan page and I haven't been there forever. What, what do you do when you say no at, with a question mark at the end, but what you're saying is sort of... Uh, not really. Not really. Yeah. I mean, yes, but no, I don't want to talk about it. Or, I mean, I, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Like, I mean, people, no? will, people will literally say, yeah, no. Which right. they can't both be right, but but there's a way Commit. of there's a way of saying like no, which yeah. kind of means like f you also or um, I'll do it with yes also if it's a if it's a yes with an if yes. or yes with a but right if somebody says um, are you free tonight yes you know you want to leave the door open or um, do you like pho yes like yeah, yeah it's not my favorite but yeah my daughter has taken to saying ish by itself yeah just to say um do you, do you like meatballs of, ish yeah ish and i don't know if she i feel like she coined it i've never seen i've never heard it or seen it elsewhere and i don't know where she got it i mean she just when i say yeah you know i I like it, Tish. I mean, she got it from something. Yeah, she saw it on iCarly. Or no, she, she invented it because she's genius. That's what I meant. Uh, you can uh, email us at omni- theomnibusproject at gmail.com or send us physical items to Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Send us your 
grandpas used punctuation marks. Uh, you can find fellow listeners uh, at various Futurelings discussion groups on Facebook, on Discord, on Reddit. There are many ways to support uh, the program. Tell your friends you enjoy Omnibus. Uh, unless you have terrible taste and they will use that as a counterindicator of what to listen to. In that case, tell them you dislike it. Uh, you can uh, rate or review the show. Uh, if you have the financial wherewithal, you could even become one of the uh, donors who power Omnibus and receive cool perks like a bonus episode. Signed uh, show notes. Signed show notes, image feeds. Some can even uh, commission their own Omnibus topics or uh, chat with uh, me and John. What, what level of donation gets you a signed chick tract? Because you've had me sign a lot of chick tracks. Well, here's the problem. We currently we used to send out uh, show notes to everybody who gave at whatever the $20 monthly level is called. Yeah. Uh, but now I believe we have, and we were going to just re-up that every year. Like, oh, you donated for another year? Here's new show notes. But we now have more than 104 donors at that level, and we only do 104 shows a year. Right. So now, uh, for people who already have a signed set of show notes, they get a supplementary signed chick signed track. chick track because of the show note shortage. Right. I don't know what what other way is there around that we could copy out longhand a new set of notes for every show, or uh, write or split the show in half and everybody gets half a show. We have a precious bodily fluids gap. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, so uh, go to patreon.com slash omnibus project if you're a uh, devotee of the show that would like to express that through really the only means available to us uh, in a capitalist society, which is with your wallet. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived or whether you communicate just with emojis and uh, new punctuation. Exclamation point. It's it's possible that, that words become super, superfluous. What what do we really need to say to each other except, I love you, kind of, I like Thai food, okay. Rhetorical question mark. Like, there, once there's a, once there's a, uh, an emoji for pho. Comma. Which I think there is. Comma. I, uh, I, I what else am I going to have to say to someone? Rhetorical question mark. Upside down. Is that an upward, yeah, upside down or backwards? I can't, well, I can't remember where we landed. Where did the French land on this? Uh, I suppose that's fine for you. Period. Sark Mark. Period. Tilda. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what that is. What is that's 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 a uh, yeah. What is it? That's the irony mark. That weird curly question mark. Right. The irony mark. Anyway, comma. If the worst comes soon, comma. this recording, comma. like all our recordings, comma. this needs a rewrite, may have been our final word. Period. But if providence allows, comma. Sark Mark. we hope to be back with you soon for another entry, ellipsis, in the omnibus. Period.